It's okay to have things as long as things don't have you. So last Sunday morning, I had no idea that when I woke up that it would be my day. I accepted an invitation to go out of town to play golf with some friends from church. And uh, I got to the golf course, warmed up, got to the fourth tee box, uh, took one swing on the par three, and I got a hole in one, y'all. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Now, here's some things, a little bit about the backstory, all right? Uh, first of all, when I hit it, uh, there was a big mound in front of the hole. Like, you could see the flag, but you couldn't see the hole, which meant when I hit the ball, I knew it was a good ball, like, but I didn't see it go in. Like, if you're going to get a hole in one, like this, guy, if you play golf, you know, like, to get a hole in one is like the zenith. It is like creme de la creme is the best. And you want to kind of see it go in so you can celebrate in the moment. It would be like you going to AT&T Center and watching the Cowboys and it goes to overtime and you go get popcorn and Dak Prescott throws a touchdown to C.D. Lamb in the end zone to win the game. You were there, but you didn't get to see it. It's not the same, right? That's how I felt. The second thing that happened is once we got to the green, we drove up to the green, my buddy Larry hit a good shot as well. So there was only one ball on the green. And I wasn't going to be the guy to go to the cup. And so I, I, I circled and I went to the other ball to see if it might be my ball. And while I was doing that, the third member of our golf uh, group, his name is Eddie, he went to the ball or went to the cup and he said, you got a hole in one. Now, I've got too many friends that would joke and do that mess with me. So I, I didn't want to let my heart go there. Uh, but when he pulled the ball out of the cup and showed me like that was my ball, I was freaking out. It was awesome. But, but the reality is I, I, I had to experience it secondhand. I didn't get to see it go in. I didn't get to have the joy of getting the ball, seeing it in the cup. And, get, and not only that, it happened on a Sunday morning. Like I went to church that morning, Van Pay Honor, but I, it happened like at 10 a.m. Like while you were having church right here, I was playing golf. So who am I going to tell? Like, because I know y'all. Y'all will be like, yeah, pastor's playing hooky at a golf course. I couldn't tell anybody. It's like the worst thing that could happen is a pastor having a hole-in-one on a Sunday morning when he should have been at church. It was terrible. I couldn't post it, couldn't tell him. It was terrible. So this is what I felt like. After it was all, you know, all these things are happening, all the emotions, I felt like the Lord was like, this is a gift. John, enjoy golf but don't let it have a hold on you. The Bible says in the last verse of 1 John, it says, my children, guard yourselves from idols. Guard yourself from idols. And when you think of idols, what do you think of? Like most of us probably think of uh, anything that maybe we worship, like in the Old Testament, they have these graven images and idols they would worship, but... I would advocate that an idol is anything that you give more time and attention and devotion than God. And so yes, it can include drug and alcohol abuse where it becomes a stronghold in your life. It can include the sin of pornography where it becomes an addiction. Like those are legitimate, real idols that we need to be very careful, for, uh, careful of because they... They will keep us from having close fellowship with the Lord. They will be a lid to your spiritual growth. But it's not always the bad things. It can be the good things. And for most of us, it's, it's one thing, right? It's one thing that can get our hearts, that can take hold of us. 
Like in our city, do you know what the four uh, idols are in our city? San Antonio Spurs, tacos, kids, and careers. Like we see it with sports all the time, right? Like men, it can get a hold of us. Like this weekend, I mean, the Boston Red Sox, my team are like on the verge of playoffs. We're at home at Fenway Park and we've lost two games in a row to the New York Yankees now. And I have to like... Last time I taught, I taught on constant forgiveness. I forgive you. But I had to like check my attitude. Like, God, don't let me be in a bad mood when I come to church because I see that happen a lot of times. Like some of you, how many Longhorn fans? Hook them horns. Do you have in the house? Like, not, they scored 70 points yesterday. They won, right? It's easy because of a big victory to come in here and go, I'm going to worship Jesus. Longhorns won. I'm going to give more money. I'm going to sing louder. But if your team doesn't win, what happens? Like you Aggie fans, right? You lost to the Razorbacks yesterday, right? And so... Wow, you're a little bit more quiet than normal. I'm surprised you're here, you know? Like, <laughs> but it can be good things that get a hold of us. I, I have seen over the years a, a big concern on my heart is when families are, their motives are pure, want the best for their kids, but it becomes a kid-centric family. And I, I, when I grew up, I don't know about you, like we would play sports, but it would be like for maybe a couple of months, you play a game once a week, practice once a week. Now it's like multiple days a week and it's all year round and it's tournaments and it's tons of money. And, and what breaks my heart is when I see families who are, and they're so active in church and passionate about the Lord, but because of the choice to make sports for their kids a priority, they drift and now no longer in church, no longer serving the Lord, no longer in their, their small group. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Or we get so consumed with our careers because enough is not enough. We gotta make more money. We gotta have more, bigger car, bigger boat, bigger, bigger house, and it just doesn't stop, right? And, and money, again, is in and of itself is not bad. What is bad? Jesus says it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Those are the things that we have to be careful of. So what is it for you? What is that one thing? Is it Netflix? Like you get consumed and like you got to binge a new show. And what's coming on next? And like, man, it got quiet in here. Some of, you, some of you are like, pastor, stop meddling. But what is that one thing, that one thing that the Lord may ask you to surrender? Ask you to surrender. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. We're continuing our journey through Matthew, our series is called All Authority. We believe that Jesus is the final authority, right? The word of God is our authority. It's our guidebook for living. I want you to imagine as we read a portion of this chapter, you gotta, it's important to understand the context of this passage we're gonna read. So I want you to imagine being part of the crowd that's outside of Jordan. The Bible says it was a, a huge crowd and Jesus was ministering. He was healing people. He was responding to questions of the Pharisees uh, who were just like, they just missed it, right? It was all about putting on a show and they, they weren't worshiping the Lord with their heart and they were trying to trap Jesus. And the first thing they tried to trap him was they asked him a question about divorce. And in Jesus's response, he gives value to women. In a century, in a time where women didn't have a whole lot of rights, they were treated like slaves. Jesus elevated 
the value to women. And that's what he's doing. He does this all the time. It's like he flips the script in the kingdom of God. What you think is valuable isn't that valuable. And what you don't think is valuable is very valuable. He talks about it. Don't get consumed with the things here on earth, earthly treasures where, where moths will eat up and rust will occur and thieves will break in and destroy, but rather store up treasures in heaven, right? So don't worry, he says in Matthew 5, don't worry about being anxious about what you're gonna eat or what, what you're gonna wear. Like God takes care of his children. Don't stress out about those things. Don't, don't put so much value on those things. And, and so he says to the, in, in his response, he's giving great value to women. And then the next thing that happens in Matthew 19 is these, these kids start coming around Jesus. You gotta know Jesus loves kids, right? The disciples, not so much. Kids didn't get a lot of value back in the day. So what did the disciples do? They tried to shoo them away. Like, hey, 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 you're not important. Get away, get away. And Jesus sees this and he rebukes the disciples. And he says, the kingdom of God is like belongs to these children. Unless you are like these children, like you're missing it. If you don't see the value in children, then you're missing it. And so perhaps it was by the compassion of Jesus giving value, value to people who were on the fringes that just like sparked the heart of a young man in that crowd. Maybe he was, he was standing next to you and he walks out, all right? And he has an encounter with Jesus. He's this rich, young ruler. If, if he was young he, and he was, had influence and leadership, he was at least 30 years old. We don't know how he got his wealth. We don't know if he invested in the market when it was down. We don't know if he got an inheritance or he was an entrepreneur and had a great job. We don't know the details, but we know that he was young and he was influential. Like he would have been the envy of all of his neighbors. Like people look at this guy and go, man, if I could be like him. If I had all of these things that this man has. And it's, it's a stark contrast to Jesus. Because here you have this young, rich ruler who had power, he had wealth, he had his health, he had all of these things. And then Jesus, about the same age, didn't have any earthly possessions. He was homeless, right? So you have this contrast in their encounter. So let's look at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 19. It says, now beloved, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said it to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that Jesus lists commandments of the Ten Commandments, he lists six through nine, and he doesn't mention number 10, which, which is do not covet, but rather comes back to, to commandment number five, to honor your mother and father. And then he tacks on love your neighbor as yourself. So to understand the commandments written by the finger of God, given to Moses on two tablets, the first five have to do with honoring the Lord. If you love the Lord, you won't take his name in vain. You won't worship any other idols. And then the last five have to do with our relationship with people, right? Like if you love someone, you're never gonna wanna lie about them. You're never gonna steal, about them, steal from them. And so it's interesting that Jesus, he says six through nine, then comes back to five. 
It was this, it's, it's, it's an important principle that when Jesus is saying this, he's like, if you honor your, your father and mother, be satisfied in what you have. Like, be content. And, and so what was the young man's response to Jesus? It says, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? How many of you have ever felt like that? Like there's still something missing. I have this holy discontent. This is what this young man was, was feeling. He's saying, I, all these commandments that you've mentioned, Jesus, I know them. I've been doing them ever since I was a little kid. This would have been a church kid. He would have grown up in church. Like he knew it. He had knowledge of scripture. He had knowledge of the law. He, he knew all the commands. He knew it up here, but he was missing it 18 inches below in his heart. And Jesus knew it. And so now Jesus puts the finger on the one thing that is lacking in this man's life, all right? So Jesus said to him, if you wanna be perfect, in other words, if you wanna be holy, if you wanna be set apart, go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and follow me. Jesus is poking on that one thing in this man's heart. That one thing that was lacking, that one thing that was lacking was the, the idol in his heart. It was the love of money, his great possessions. Now it's important to understand that Jesus does not say that if we are to follow Jesus or to be saved, a condition is you have to sell everything you have and get to the poor. But for this man, it was a problem. It was an idol in his life. And I imagine it was out of the sincerity of the heart of Jesus that he reveals this to this man and gives an invitation to come and follow me. He says, this is the one thing, this, this love of money is consuming you. You're, you're, you have all of your stuff and, you're, and, you, and you, you give a, 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 a perception to others that you have it together because of your riches and what you wear, but it's standing in the way of something far more supreme, far more supreme. And the final verse, 22, <clears throat> says, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away, how? Sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Father, we thank you for your scripture. May they come alive in our hearts. May they penetrate the hearts of this flock, of your family. Lord, if there's anything in our life that is that one thing that we hold on to, that when you convict us of, we get, we get defensive or we try to justify it. I pray, oh Lord, that whether we're self-aware or you reveal this one thing to us in your presence, may we not be like this young man who walked away with great regret in his heart, but rather we would obey you and follow you. Nothing off limits, in Jesus' name. There are two famous paintings of this story in the Bible. The first painting was by George Watts, and it's a picture of this, this young ruler. I imagine the hours that this artist would have meditated on, on this story to paint this picture. We see the, the robe, he's got the turban, the jewels, but he hangs his head in shame. He, he's been convicted of great truth from Jesus, from God. 
And instead of accepting the invitation, instead of obeying Jesus to sell everything or sell the things he has and give to the poor, he turns his back on God and he walks away. Now I wanna contrast this painting with a painting done by Henrik Hoffman, painted in 1888. The young man is in fine clothes, maybe a little arrogant, apathetic, but the focal point of this painting is not on the rich young ruler, but rather it's on who? Jesus, showing great compassion, sadness, and love. This painting of Jesus' face has been captured by millions. It has been, it's been printed and seen over and over. And so when we read this story, I hope that we do not focus on the rich young ruler, but that rather we focus on Jesus. Because Jesus is asking us all, will you surrender? Will you lay it down at my feet? How will you respond? But your response will either glorify Jesus, it'll bring a smile to his face, or it'll break his heart. Nothing is off limits. It's okay to have things as long as that thing doesn't have you. And so what is the reason why we don't surrender? What keeps us from, from saying, God, I, I wanna follow you with open hands and open heart and open mind? I believe it's the sin of iniquity. For some, it's the sin of greed. It would be the sin of lust, the sin of pride. Pride is the root of so many of the, the evil virtues, but it's, it's pride that says, I am God and you are not. It says, I'm gonna be in control. And that's why these one things, that the one thing in your life, it, it, it brings pleasure for a season or it numbs the pain. And it's so, the enemy is so deceptive about that one thing. It's usually that one thing that he, he, he tempts you with over and over again. It's the one thing that causes pride to swell up in your life. And so you need to be very, very careful of the pride. The, I, wanna get, I wanna share with you 11 warning signs, all right? These are like, should be like red flags or red lights on your dashboard. And, and you take a litmus test as we go through these together because you, you need to surrender if, number one, your personal sense of worth goes up and down with the opportunities ahead of you. If things don't go your well, way, then you're sad. If things go well, then you're happy and you're joyful. Like you bet your self-worth inside of you, but you must realize that your, your identity, your, your worth is not found in what you do or what you have, but rather who you are in Christ as a child of God. And if you, are, if you know your identity in Christ and your joy is anchored in Jesus, no matter what happens to you, whether you hope for it or not, it won't change. It won't change. The second sign is that failure is terrifying to you. You're afraid of failing, especially in front of other people, because you want to you have a reputation to, to protect, right? It usually becomes from pride or insecurities. But if you're humble in heart, then even failure is an opportunity for you to learn and grow from. That you shouldn't be afraid to even share your weaknesses or your failures, because people will relate to that. But if you're afraid of failing, it's because you're holding on to it. Here's the third thing. You think you're a big deal. You think you're a big deal. If you're humble in heart, you know Jesus is a big deal, right? 
and we glorify him in all that we say, do. Number five, you take the credit. You want the glory. But when you're humble of heart, when you have that root of humility, then you're quick to defer praise to the Lord and to other people. You don't care who gets the credit as long as the job gets done, as long as the Lord is pleased. But if there's something inside of you that craves for recognition, it craves for credit. And this leads to the sixth thing. You strive for exposure. It's not enough. If you look at friends on Facebook or even do an inventory and look at your social media feed, are there a lot of selfies? Are there a lot of things that you're bragging about? It's so easy to do, but it's feeding the pride. It's feeding that independent spirit that we need to be careful of. But we're striving. We're always working for more. Number seven, you are always thinking about the next thing. In other words, you're not content with what you have or where God has placed you. It's never enough. So you're, you're wanting more. There's something inside of you that's just striving and it's working harder, maybe even more than what the Lord has, has designed you for. And, and maybe you're at risk of burning out and your relationships are strained. Here's another one. You're always comparing yourself to others. You look at someone else and say, well, if I had that job, if I had that income, if I had what she has, and you're envying, it's, it's coveting. But when you are humble at heart, you can celebrate with others' successes and be sincere about it. Number nine, you feel entitled to any success that comes your way. You feel like you deserve it. And if you're not getting it, then you have a, a gap in your expectation and it can become an opportunity for there to be hurt and bitterness. But you live your life with entitlement instead of gratitude. That's a sign that, that pride is taking root in your life. And Jesus is saying, I want you to surrender. Number 10, the need to win is greater than the need to love. Some of you are very competitive and you're very driven and God has wired you in a certain way and, and it can be good in moderation. But some of you, it's gotten out of control. Like you're flipping the Monopoly table over. Like, like raise your hand if you want to confess. No, don't, don't. No pointing. But when you're motivated by the love of God and the humble heart, the need to love is greater than the need to win. And finally, you're always insecure. But when you're humble in heart, your security is in the steadfast love of Jesus. And so as you, as you ponder, as you reflect, let this be a litmus test for you to check your heart because it's the condition of your heart that matters to Jesus. And he desires for you to surrender. And it's not just surrender one time and then you're done. It's a daily, Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, take up his cross, how often? Daily, right? He says, what profit does a man to, to gain the whole world but yet lose his soul. You will find eternal life when you lose everything, when you surrender it to Jesus. So what does surrender mean? Surrendering means aligning your will with the almighty will of God. It's saying, Lord, regardless of my preferences, regardless of my rights, I give them up. That one thing that keeps getting in the way, I surrender it. 
I lay it down at your feet. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. One of the earliest Christian creeds in the first century started is that Jesus is Lord. Martyrs for the faith, oftentimes that was the last thing that they spoke before their death. So if Jesus is Lord was the, one of the earliest Christian creeds, then a self-surrender to Jesus must be the Christian attitude. That nothing is off limits. That every day that I get up, that I say, Lord, thank you for this day. This day is yours. I surrender to you. The breath that I have comes from you. The talents that you've given me comes from you. The marriage that I have, it's not my wife. The marriage is yours. My children, they're not my children. They're yours. This family, the, the church, it's not mine. It's yours. It's a daily sacrificial surrendering that we must do as we walk closely with the Lord. Because that root of pride, man, it's so deceptive. It, it, it can sneak in and then, it, and then it takes root and we become someone that we're not supposed to be. William Booth who was incredibly talented, great communicator, had a lot of drive, surrendered many of his riches to give to the poor. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. He said, the greatness of the man's power is the measure of his surrender. In a more profound sense, it, prove, it improves our faith through a greater willingness to submit to a higher authority, to be obedient, and willing just as Jesus was willing and obedient to the point of death on a cross. When you struggle with surrendering, when you struggle with submitting, look upon Jesus who had everything at his fingertips in heaven and he humbled himself, fully God, fully man on this earth, selfless, without sin, his mission was to save us from sin, save us from hell, separation from God, save us for a relationship with him. And he did this through laying his life down, through surrendering his life on a cross. And if Jesus could lay down his life for you, can you lay down that one thing for him? Again, it, Sometimes it, it can be like we're self-aware of it. And other times it's like we need people to come in our life and to point it out in our blind spots because it kind of can sneak up on us and, and it changes our attitude. It can change our tone and, and affect so much. But the Lord loves you. He loves you so much that he will allow trials to happen to humble you. He will allow painful confrontations to happen in discipline because he loves you. He wants to be close to you. He wants you to fulfill his divine purpose for your life. Two and a half years ago, there was a lot of things happening within our church and in my life. And then I, I faced trial after trial, physically and, 
and relationally, and there was a number of things that were happening that just really caused me to become broken. And during that broken state, I, I, I realized there was a sin in my life that I didn't see before. And it was so, it was, it was mingling like selfish ambition that I needed to lay down before the Lord. And I was greatly convicted of this. I remember writing a list of things and, and conversations that I had. And some of those conversations didn't have the best tone of, of love. And I had to go back to those people and make amends. And, and it was very humbling. But I remember going in the woods near my house and, and taking a shovel and burying. I had a self-funeral. And it was, a, it was a surrender. It was a moment of surrender. And I was very broken during this time. Again, there was a number of things happening. I felt like I was just limping along. I remember I, there was one Sunday I, I was scheduled to teach and I, I didn't even have the effort to teach. And so I came to church and instead of being in this room, I went to the kids ministry area and I, I just found my way. I really look back now, I know I was led of the spirit to just spend about four hours in our special needs, our summit room. And the kids that were coming in, I, I just got down on their level and, and listened to stories and encouraged and prayed. I, I couldn't leave the room. I didn't have a whole lot of, of energy, but I, I felt like the grace of God, the Holy Spirit helping me minister in a way that I felt like, I, I, in, in some ways, I felt like the, kind of the anointing had been departed. I, I was working in my own flesh maybe. And I remember the Holy Spirit just like speaking so directly to my heart saying, John, if, if this is the only ministry, if this is the extent of the ministry, to minister to special needs children, would that be enough? If you never teach on this stage ever again, would you be content and okay with that? And I remember just, just crying and Jimmy being so broken, I, but it was a place of in that brokenness and humility that I said, yes, I surrender, I trust you. And it's a moment that, that we should have probably frequently. We should have it before it gets too painful. And so this is our opportunity. Because if we can have discipline and we can surrender daily, then it won't become a bigger issue later on. And so I wanna challenge you this week. For some of you, you know what that one thing is that you need to lay it down. For others, the Holy Spirit's gonna reveal it to you as we wait upon Him in His presence. But I wanna challenge you this week to fast. Some of you, you need to fast social media or Netflix or coffee or sugar or, or alcohol, whatever it is, I, whatever the Holy Spirit may say, this is the one thing, I, would you just lay it down this week and instead of spending time and attention and money towards those things, would you put it towards the Lord? Would you extend the abide time and that secret place a little bit longer? Spend a little bit more time in God's word and in communing with him and praying in his presence, don't get in a hurry, worship, be grateful, and allow the Lord to do a work in your life, to do a work in your life. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word again. We thank you that as we are in your presence, Holy Spirit, that you love us enough to not allow us to, to walk in our, in our own effort or with pride in our life, but you desire for us to walk with humility, with self-surrender. And so, Father, as we are in your presence, what is that one thing? Just in your own words, would you just pray, say, Father, reveal, what is that one thing in my life? Just wait upon him right now. He's going to reveal it to you.
during this final song, I wanna encourage you to make this a, a time of consecration to the Lord, a time to surrender. And so as we worship the Lord with this final song, I wanna give you the freedom. If you wanna get out of your seat and come forward to the front to, to kneel down, make it a place of an altar. Maybe you'll just kneel down at your seat. Some of you will stand and worship and just with hands lifted high saying as a, as a child would come to a father saying, I desire nothing but you. I surrender all to you. Just allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. For some of you, it's time that you have some heart surgery and you need to confess and turn from that sin, repent of that sin and, and that idol, that one thing that's getting between you and God. It's getting between you and your relationship with others. And you're, for some of you, it's, it's something that the enemy wants to bring shame and condemnation, but the Lord wants to set you free from that. He wants to heal you from it. He wants to deliver you from that. He wants to forgive you. As we are in your presence, would you allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life?